Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody, just a quick reminder that the Other People Podcast is a listener-supported show. All episodes are free, nearly 500 and counting. There's an official app, that too is free. I count on the support of listeners. If you guys would like to support this program this holiday season, you can do so at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. Okay? Okay, thank you. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible. You know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome (laughs) to the Other People Show. It's good to be with you. This uh, podcast is coming to you from Los Angeles, California. That's where I'm sitting right now. And I'm very excited about today's program. It's a little bit unorthodox in terms of how I usually do things format-wise and otherwise. My guests are Patty Schemmel and Aaron Hosier. Patty has written a memoir called Hit So Hard. Uh, she's the drummer of Hole, the rock and roll band. She wrote a memoir. It's called Hit So Hard. Aaron Hosier is Patty's literary agent and uh, collaborator. And uh, Aaron Hosier is also my literary agent. So it was good to have both of them here with me talking about this book, talking about Patty's life, talking about uh, 90s uh, rock and roll, that entire world, how that came to be, uh, the Pacific Northwest, Kurt Cobain, Courtney Love, all of it uh, coming up in just a bit. Uh, I got a, a letter from a listener that I would like to read to you. It comes to me from a listener named Alex. He says, hey, Brad, I'm just wondering if the dog noise that you've started introducing into the podcast was actually a recording of your now deceased dog, R.I.P., he goes on to say, one time I saw a dog get hit by a car and die what I thought was an instantaneous death. I'm glad that that's not how your dog passed away, as that probably would have been way more brutal. You should get that new puppy you've been talking about, regardless of any mixed feelings. It would probably bring a lot of joy to you and your family. Best, Alex. So the uh, sound effect, the dog sound effect that I've been using is, uh, is not my deceased dog, Walter, who uh, choked on a bagel this past spring, passed away. I I think I got that sound effect off the internet. You know, there's like, you just Google it. I need a dog sound effect, and I I downloaded it. And, you know, regarding getting a new dog, it's something I've been contemplating. I, I went, like, through this phase. I think part of my coping strategy 
in 2017, like trying to deal with all the stresses that come along with 2017 and uh, life in Trump's America has been to sort of fixate on dogs on the internet when I can't take, you know, what else is on the internet anymore when it's all sort of overwhelming me. I'll just, so I'll go look at pictures of puppies. I'll go watch like dog videos. Does anybody else do this? I think we all have our coping strategies, but that's been mine. So I get really fixated on dogs and I start to think to myself like, yeah, we need to get one. I was thinking about a border collie, (laughs) which, uh, is just, I think it's a little bit much considering I have such a busy life, full-time job, two kids, young child. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth. Then I was like, I was thinking, uh, that I was going to get a doodle. I was going to get one of these doodle dogs because they don't shed. I was going to get a boar doodle, which is like a, a more a border doodle. I guess they, you know, it's a little bit, uh, up in the air as to what you actually call these dogs, but it's like a border collie plus a poodle. So it's a non-shedding hybrid half poodle, half border collie or something, you know, some approximation thereof. But then I talked to a friend of mine who got like really angry at me and she's like, do not buy a doodle. Do not buy a dog. It's going to be illegal pretty soon to even uh, purchase uh, dogs in the state of California. You have to adopt. There are so many dogs in shelters that need homes. You can find a dog that fits your criteria. If you do a little legwork, it is immoral to uh, do otherwise. And she was like right up in my face. Like this is something she's very passionate about. It's just recently. So that's sort of, you know, and I sort of get it. I, you know, I should, I should adopt a dog, but the problem is, you know, I got to know what I'm getting. I've got kids. Is this dog going to be like a good family dog? I don't want a dog that sheds a lot. I think that's part of what was dissuading me from getting a border collie. Cause I've had one of those and I know how that goes. I don't want the hair everywhere. So I have needs like special, you know, specialized, uh, you know, desires in terms of what I want from the animal. (laughs) Got to get it custom made, but I I think I'm going to adopt eventually. And And then there's the question of like, do we get one now when my son is two, which means that if the dog lives 12 to 15 years, like actuarially speaking, then the dog dies when he's like 15, 16 years old, right at the peak of adolescence. That's rough. Maybe we wait a little bit, get the dog. That way, like my kids are out of the house and then the dog dies. Am I overthinking this? Possibly. So, but it was interesting because I was talking to my friend. She was giving me like a really hard time about even considering the possibility of a doodle. And, uh, you know, like I'm a vegetarian, like I'm, I'm pretty nice to animals. I feel like, like nicer than the average person in terms of how I uh, live my life. And she was like eating a steak and like yelling at me, <laughs> yelling at me about, uh, animal cruelty. It was weird. And I, I sort of brought that up, but I didn't want to hammer it too hard because I felt like that would be dickish, but I feel like I had a point anyway. Uh, thanks Alex for the letter. Uh, we're going to get a dog eventually. I guarantee you we'll get a dog. I don't know what the dog will be or when we're going to get it, but it's going to happen. And I look forward to it. Hey, everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. 
He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. My guests are uh, Patty Schemmel and Aaron Hosier. Patty, drummer for the rock band Hole, the seminal rock band. She's got a new memoir out from DeCapo Press called Hit So Hard. And uh, Aaron Hosier, her agent, her uh, cons- you know co-conspirator, collaborator, also my literary agent. Great to see both of them. And very excited to share this conversation with you. Here they are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Patty Schemmel and Aaron Hosier. Growing up, I never, you know, I, when I decided to be, you know, I want to be a drummer in a rock band, there was no way that was going to happen living in Seattle to me. You know, it was not a, a spot. You know, it was not what it became at all. So why? Like, but why Seattle and why then? Do you have yeah, any? I, I, you know, I, I think it has a lot to do with that, the words and the music and and the time and that it was. And the weather. <laughs> Everybody I mean, says it. Depressing. Yeah. Right. City. It is. And, and, the and we all, you know, grew up in, in Seattle, the, all the houses were affordable. You, you know, you could rent a house with six of your friends, have a band, and practice in the basement. So there, everybody was in a band. And it was these punk rock houses, and that was my community, and those were my people. So, um, And my goals then were to play, you know, I really want to play the Central Tavern, you know, and that that was like the big deal. And then that happens. And then when... Nirvana got signed and, and you, I mean, like you met Kurt Cobain in Olympia. Am I remembering? Yeah. That? So you met him at what age? Like, and this was, Nirvana- I was, um, not even 21 yet. Like 19. Yeah. 19. Underage. <laughs> Underage. It was an all ages show and we had to leave Seattle to go to an all ages show because there's so many, there were so many rules around, um, venues and there's the, the teen dance ordinance. It was, it was the teen dance. ordinance. Yes, it was a in, real thing in Seattle. Yeah. You, you couldn't, um, there were some rules about where alcohol was sold and, uh, curfew. And, um, anytime there was a punk rock club that opened up, it would always get shut down, you know, right away. And cause you can't have dancing. Yes. It's like footloose. Yeah. It was so it footloose. Was. <laughs> So, uh, so, okay. So you're 19 at that point you're playing music. Yeah. You know, so you started very young. Yeah. At 11. 
at yeah. 11. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean like start playing in bands and like actually like playing gigs. Like yeah. that started when you were like 14, 15. So it didn't take you long. No. You picked it right up. You have a musical family. Like super- no. I mean, my parents are both they They were creative people, but not musicians. Um, my dad was a photographer. Um, yeah, they were supportive. They, so, yeah, so they, like they weren't freaked out when you said, "I want to play like a drum set. I want to go play." No. And you uh, did you take lessons? Yeah, I did. And that yeah, my teacher was a jazzer. Okay. <laughs> and I wasn't into it, but I you know I learned it. That's a tough one as parents to like if you're practicing drums to have a drum set. Yeah, <laughs> those are some kind parents. I know. I know. Because <laughs> you know you make a racket. I, I took bongo lessons when I was in, I went to Boulder for college. Uh-huh. I actually got college credit of for course. taking, yeah. <laughs> for bongo. It tells you a little, you get yeah. a little snapshot. That sounds like Olympia, you know, like yeah. um, at Evergreen, yeah. everybody would be show up at shows and, you know, I, you know, a, a whole uh, semester of basket weaving and stuff, yeah, you know, sandals. My teacher, my, t- yeah, my teacher <laughs> was this so- guy. He was like the nicest guy, but he was like pattern baldness <laughs> and he'd come to the door and like his like dirty khakis and like just his socks. And he was a terrific player, Yeah, but he'd like tell me stories. He's like, you know, I was backstage at the dead show at McNichols <laughs> arena and they'd like put liquid acid in my eye and, you know, <laughs> out of a dropper, yeah, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Like and, that's almost better than the bongo lesson. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> <laughs> like, let, let me put it to you this way. I remember that and I couldn't play the bongos to save my life today. If you brought me a bongo, I would barely know what to do. But, um, so anyway, let's get back to like the lore because... I think a lot of people listening, you know, uh, you know, whole, uh, Nirvana, a lot of the bands that came out of the Pacific Northwest during that time, they're like cultural touchstones. Like mm-hmm. this is the music of my youth. And it's a really interesting to me, like how all of that happened and how many, uh, connecting threads there are, you know, so many people who wound up becoming big time, uh, musicians just happen to be buddies. Yeah. You know, hanging out at the same shows and running into each other and playing music together and living in houses together and doing heroin together. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so you meet Kurt Cobain, you're 19 years old. Yeah. Is, is that what you said? Yeah. And where did you guys meet again? We met at a show. Um, my band, I was in a band called The Primitives and we were, uh, we were playing a show in Tacoma, um, all ages show. And he, we were opening for the Melvins and he was with the Melvins just you know, there. he was a roadie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like moving stuff out of the van. And one of the things you say in the book is that, you know, nobody at that time really recognized, like you didn't know at that time, like this guy's going to become an icon. No, he's got this. Yeah. You knew he was gifted, but you didn't know he was that guy. Right. Like who's, the, how could you ever guess that the guy standing next to you is, you know, like he's like Elvis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, yeah, uh, that I think about that, and uh, um, I, I'm sure people didn't think that about like Bill Gates, you know. <laughs> it was like yeah. the, the nerdy kid, Bill Gates. But um, did you know him too? <laughs> no, but I met. Was he on the scene? Who was the other guy? Alan. Um, oh, because you, you worked. A- no, I did a. Um, I did a show at uh, Paul Allen. Paul Allen. Yeah, he he's a, su- a super big music fan, and he did the EMP in Seattle. The that's right. I was going to say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but right. it's the Experience Music. And he, um, we, I was asked to sit in and play drums for a, 
an event that was a tribute to women in music. Uh-huh. And so we learned all these songs and it was like, you know, me and Kathy from Go-Go's, Danita Sparks, like just some great lady players. And he came to the rehearsal and he was standing there and I was like, in my mind, you know, I was, and he will talk forever about music, you know. When was this? This was like 2012, okay. maybe. Not so long. Or maybe 2011. Like, yeah, B was just born. So, but I was talking to him and I was thinking, this is like talking to Ben Franklin, you know, <laughs> like that. Right. Like, if you really put it into, you know, like this is a guy who created something that changed Thomas Edison. Yes. Like huge world impact. I yeah. Mean, I mean, just that operating system, everyone's messed around with it, you know, but he's, uh, I want like, he's kind of like, he's like the nerd who's sort of like, okay, I've got, you know, $11 billion now right. or whatever. Like, I'm going to be cool. Like, yeah, I'm going to exactly. do it. Sure. Like, yeah. We're going to have parties. People are going to come. <laughs> Gonna have bands. You know? Yeah, yeah. I just bought Jimi Hendrix jacket. Yes, and it's at my. Yeah, and he likes to you know geek out about music and talk about it and you know, but he shows up in a you know souped, you know, and it's just, yeah. yeah. You, you, you can only fake it so much. I know it's good though. Do you be yourself? That's right. That's Did right. you ever meet um, Steve Bang, the billionaire Bang? He's like he's a big supporter of old school rock and rollers. Yeah. Well, like wait, is it Jerry Lee Lewis? He like checks in on, but isn't and, Steve being like younger, like, or is it I, Steve Ballmer? That? He, Steve I Ballmer know he had the... a kid with Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, right. Yeah. And so then sort of disowned that kid. I don't know. He's a controversial. <laughs> it's just another billionaire, <laughs> oh, okay. but they love rock and roll. These right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, here's the thing. This is what I always say about, musicians and music period is that like whenever, I don't know, I feel like all creative people, whether you're literary or you're uh, theatrical or you're a movie actor, whatever it is, everyone really just wants to be a rock star. It's true. Like it's, uh, it's the most fun and it's music is quick. I always say it's like quickest to the vein, which is like an apt metaphor, I guess, but like it really is like, you, you know, it really, you have that direct line to people. It's like pretty instant uh-huh. uh, with a book, you know, someone's got to have the time and like, it's right. like, you know, and it, and it works on its own magical way. Like, you know, it's not to denigrate, it's just different, but uh, music to be on stage. I mean, that's the best, right? It is. It, it, um, it, 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 I can see how, well, you know, it becomes, you know, the addictive and it's so about your ego and it's tough though, because you've got to be that person that wants to show up and go there, you know, yeah. and every, it, you just can't, you know, I'd like to know the person that can conjure that up every day, just be you on. know, like, yeah, just want Yeah. And like the thing too, is that like, there are probably some nights, like in the middle of the biggest tour you ever did with hole where you guys are like playing like huge venues and all these people show up to see you. There are days where you're like, I don't feel like fucking doing this. I know. Are there? <laughs> you know, well, um, yeah, but once, you know, I've done it for so long that when I sit at my drums, it just, it, I just, it just motion it just goes into, um, and so, it just, you know, it's muscle memory and it just, you know, and it's like a, and then you, you get through to the other side of it and then you're like elated yeah. because of that release of, but, um, 
Yeah, that, but I, you know, I always try to really tread lightly on the whole thing of, you know, being, you know, complaining about, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, we're on the road and, <laughs> man, you know, like, no, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful, yeah, you know, but, of course. um, but music's so different now, like to, to make a living doing it. And it's, you have to travel. Most, I feel that most musicians today play, you know, tour to make money because you can't make money selling your records as much. You know, it's a whole different. That's it. Everything's so fragmented. Yeah. Like every, you know, every, like even albums get chopped up into tracks, yes. and, you know? Yeah. So it's a different model or your entire catalog is on one streaming service. And how does that work? Do you get any money from that? You do, but it's, it's crazy. Like the, like I look at, you know, they break it down and it's like, well, it's a whole different thing when you're a drummer, you know, it's, but, um, <laughs> no, but we're going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> we're going there. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Now we're here. And, um, drummers don't get paid in the publishing unless it's an agreed, you know, unless you bring in a melody or chords or who, who determines singing. this? Like the record um, Well, company? it's kind of, no, it's the band itself. So in my band, it was, um, Eric and Courtney. They, she sang, she gets, you know, 50% off the top of the song because she sings and wrote the lyrics. And then there's the chords and melody. So the music and, um, I get paid for playing the song, you know, but they don't, I don't get paid for making up the drum part. Yeah. And like that part, you know, like, uh, towards the end of your run with whole, like when that in the studio, when that producer, like, I didn't realize this, but like the drummer tends to be the most expendable member of the band in studio sessions. We just said that last night in the, in the Q and a that, that, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're replaceable, you know, no one, people, I mean, true fans of the band know who I am in the band, but you know, it's more about the singer and the guitar player, unless you're Lars Ulrich. That's a different thing because right. he nev- he'll never get, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Courtney takes up so much oxygen. Right. She's such a huge personality, right. you know, that, um, be hard for anybody in the band to sort of like get out from behind that, you know? Right. Yeah. But, um, what was I? Oh, I, you know, and this is something that I've often thought about just as a fan of music. When I think about bands is how do they divide up the money? Because at the end of the day, it is a business and it's like, well, who deserves what? And Mm -hmm. in my head, because I can be very idealistic, I think to myself, you know what, if you really wanted to have harmony in your band and you really wanted it to go the distance, if you're all going to be like on a bus together, you just, you know what, we're all in this, we're all making this music. Let's just divide it up four ways and be equitable, you know, equitable yeah. about it. And that sounds great. But if you are the one who's like writing the lyrics right. and like fronting the band, people are probably paying to come see mostly you. Like if mm-hmm. you're being like, people want to see that lead singer and have that experience. Then does that create like quiet resentment? Quiet. There's that. There's, I, I see both sides, you know, cause yeah. like I, you know, there's a, there's a part in the book where, um, I get to a point, um, where I, you know, had this, I get off stage and I have this, I throw my backpack against the wall or something. And it's like, and Courtney's like, well, uh, because Courtney was like, where are you going? You know, we have radio interviews to do, right. you know? And I was like, done. Yeah. And, um, I, I, 
people want to hear her, you know, and, and so she's stuck, you know, but, um, not so much me, you know, so I can like, you know, kind of ease out of that sometimes, right. but the you know, publicity part, it's yeah. like, you're not getting paid for publicity. Right. But you know, they, they want to hear all those, you know, controversial little blips and you know, that she has to say. So, you know, um, but then there was always, there's always the, the, um, the angle in interviews of, you know, it's all about Courtney Love, but what about what's behind her? You know, and then it would be whole as a band, you yeah. know, and that was like our Rolling Stone cover was that. And then, you know, we each get a little section to talk about who we are. So let's know? talk about the formation of whole and like how you became the drummer of this band. Cause like, this is sort of one of those, like, uh, is it right place, right time? You knew Kurt, Kurt, yeah. and Kurt and, like, suggested you as the drummer. Yeah. You were living in, I think, Portland. I, I'd moved to San Francisco. Oh, that's right. And then. And yeah, I moved out of Seattle during all the, the craziness of, uh, you know, the big grunge movement. Right. Um, weren't you working at Microsoft? For I, I was working at Microsoft and then, you know, saved some money yeah. and, uh, yeah. And that Cashed was... Cashed in your stock. And I would have... Yes. And if I would have saved that... Oh, my I mean, God. Because I was in there in, in 1990. I was joking. You had you had Microsoft Yes, stock? I did. <laughs> and, you know, this is like... This is hysterical because it's like if people know, like, you know, it was the DOS 3 operating system, you know, like it was like it, Windows had just... It, uh <laughs> I would be, if I would have went that route, I would probably be sitting on a pile of money, yeah, you know, yeah. or, or you'd be dead. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of the drug. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I'd be like some, you know, strung out programmer yeah. and like that would be the thing <laughs> uh, in Seattle. So you come down from San Francisco for a tryout. Yeah. I, I got a call from, um, Eric, who's a guitar player in whole and, he said that um, Kurt had given, uh, mentioned to Courtney that uh, I could, um, you know, she was looking for a drummer. And so he said, you know, Patty's good. She can play. So that's and how. Had you met Courtney before? We actually were sort of acquaintances because she, um, an early edition of Hulk had come through Seattle in an my band at the time we opened for whole. So, um, what were your first impressions of her? Um, I'd heard all these rumors always like I'd heard about, you know, she was the, um, heir to the Bausch and Lomb corporation. Like <laughs> that was a legend. Yeah. That there was all these myths and, um, the love child of Jerry Garcia. Yes. The Ill- illegitimate child of, which is not true. No, but her father wrote a book about, the Grateful Dead, and she was. She's actually on one of the album covers. Is it Azo Oxamoxa? Yes, she's on she's the cover. On the cover, as a, like three year old. Yes, yeah. Doing it's what? really it's cute so cool. picture. Actually, yeah. She like there's the it, you look at the record. There's just a bunch of people, like a community of people, and she's 
she's in there. So wait, her dad was a big deadhead like yeah. back in the day. Yeah. Because yeah. I remember like Kurt used to hate the dead. It was like I'll right. be I'll be grateful when they're dead. That T-shirt or whatever. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and I'm like a, I'm like yeah. kind of a deadhead. I was like yeah. I was like oh fuck. I get <laughs> scared because I'm I was not into the dead, and I will always say oh not didn't I just never got there. Yeah. But you know what? Now that I'm older. I'm getting there with a lot of stuff. So I'm like, yeah. well, I better not say anything. Because yeah, you never next know. Next thing you know, I'll be Box of Rain <laughs> fan number one. I don't know. Phil Lesh. Yes. Uh, but no, I, you know, I think about um, like uh, we, people who, like you, you responded very strongly to punk music as a child. Yeah. And I think, and Aaron, I think you have like, you have really good taste in Thank you. art and culture. And yeah. like you seem to, ha- like, I feel like you have that. Yeah. And I think back to me growing up in the Midwest. And sort of like, I was like, wow, this music from the sixties is amazing. Like the entire zeitgeist was on like a 25 year delay where I was raised. I didn't have my finger on the pulse. I didn't have access to like the Ramones, the way that I should have. And I'm sort of like, what was there something deficient in me that I wasn't like fully like, like, uh, into punk as a teenager. Like I didn't get into it until I was like way older. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I just feel like I'm always late to the party. Like with Nirvana, They, I mean, I was a fan when that uh, when the big record came out, and that would have been what ninety one, ninety two. Yeah, yeah ninety one. So yeah, I was in high school, and I was totally into it. And Pearl Jam, I remember that was a big yeah. album. And Twelve. Then, but I think then Ten. I was talking to somebody Ten. in here like last week. <laughs> Not <laughs> I, me. I was talking to uh, Elizabeth Ellen, and we were talking about this very thing, uh, and she was like, "Yeah, you know where I was from? Like you had to pick." Between Pearl Jam and Nirvana. It was yes. like a thing. Same. Isn't that funny? In Ohio, like if you liked Pearl Jam, right. you kind of resented Nirvana for some <laughs> right. reason. I mean, it's like Rolling Stones and Beatles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was like into both, but then um, I, w- I went through a phase in college where I delivered a lot of pizza just for like a night job. I, uh-huh. I loved it because I would be in my car. I could like smoke pot and like listen to music and not be bothered. And I could bring my dog. Yeah. uh, Which is not the most sanitary thing, but you know, the pizzas were, they were, they were encased. Yeah. And I listened to, that was where I really fell in love with Nirvana and like really listened to it. Yeah. And I used to listen to Hole as well. Like I listened to Celebrity Skin Mm -hmm. like on repeat. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know, but it was just like way, I felt like it was after the party and I was finally like, Oh wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I guess you come to things when you come to them, yeah. you know, and that's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt you were saying you're in the Midwest. I, I mean, in where I grew up, we were way behind everything. You know, we, we barely had cable TV. You know? right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> so that's why it was so important when I, when, in the book talking about those little radio stations that I was able to like tune in from Vancouver and from Canada that played music I'd never heard before, you know? And it was like that, it was really, um, personal and really, um, exciting and kind of all mine and no one else, you know, I'd listen to it and then go to school and no one else knew anything about, you know, Wire or Susie and the Banshees, or it was my thing. Right. And then, you know, I meet two other people who, you know, we started, we ended up starting a band together, but it was really cool to have that, you know, like to watch Saturday Night Live and see um, David Bowie, you know, wear a dress. Yeah. Well, and also like, I think growing up in that era, getting an album and I mean, I feel like really old saying this and I feel like it's like something that a lot of people my age or our age will say is like, 
listening to the whole album mm-hmm. and like picking it apart and like that excavation and like trying to figure out like what the the whole thing was communicating or going through like just the experience because like the the musicians who really set set out to make an album like a cohesive whole like they were very carefully uh, ordering the songs yeah. and uh, sequencing the, the sequencing yeah. and put it like the songs that they um they wrote were often of a piece and I don't know. I miss that. I, mm-hmm. I, you can still do it, but it's just not as easy anymore. Most of the time you're streaming or you're yeah. listening to some playlist and it just, it's gotten lost. A that, single. Yeah. yeah. And so I wonder like, how does that affect young people who are coming up? Like if they're not having that experience, it's got to ultimately change the music that they make. And the, that, you know, there was something to say about that record. I would like get these records and just study all every inch of that cover and and, and the liner notes right. and all that was so important. And to have the, like the printed lyrics on the yeah. thing and the art. Yeah. It was like, and a, then sometimes there was photos. It was I, so I remember big. reading an interview with Tom Petty and he was talking about this very thing. He was like a, an evangelist for like the album experience. And yes. The, the I remember shitty, he had a whole, you know, the last DJ and like he, he did a whole album. About yeah. It. Yeah. But he was like, and you know, cause the, the eye roll, like I think the, the reflexive eye roll from somebody from a younger generation would be like, oh, you're just old. Right. And he was like, no, he's like, seriously, sometimes things just used to be better <laughs> and they've gotten shittier. And like, uh-huh. I kind of feel like that's a, that's a real example of that. You know, yeah. it's sort of, we've lost something without that. Going back really quickly to the, there's one thing about that, about Nirvana, Nevermind, and the idea of the band being equal. I remember when they did, when they recorded that record and then, um, Dave is singing a lot on backups and he's saying, uh, live too the backup vocal parts and Kurt sings, but Chris Novoselic did not sing. And when you record a record and you sing, you get your, um, health insurance is like a one notch better because you are a vocalist and you're using that part of your body, I guess. I mean, I'm assuming, That's but so they get better through health what? insurance. What's the union? Is there a union? It's uh, As- AFTRA. AFTRA. Okay. And so, so Kurt said Chris should sing on the record so that way he gets good health insurance. So there's that one song that he sings when it, it, it starts out. Um, he's singing a. Oh, come on, people, people now. now. That's, That's Chris. Chris. Oh. It's so that he can. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even realize. I didn't know. Why did I cool. not know this? That no, the musicians have a knows. union? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, it's like. That's a big part of the book is how do you get sober if you don't have health insurance right. or you don't have, you know, if you're a working musician, you only had this, this map uh-huh. musicians assistance yeah. program. Right. Yeah. And it's just a nonprofit, like per musician to musician. You have like these old jazz guys who, you know, have just played in clubs their whole life. Yeah somebody gets a lot of that is it just for drug treatment or um, is it all kinds of health it's just for yeah well drug and alcohol that's as far as i know uh-huh but um yeah and i on the road when we were touring if anything happened um i was insured for that you know, while for, you when were I was touring. while I was touring by the record label yeah or i think i'm not really i think so or and, um, so, or there, that's figured into the, 
But what about that like hiatus? Yeah, that's when during Courtney's yeah. movie career between <laughs> Live Through This yeah. and the twenty years between records. I don't yeah. know. It was forever. Yeah. yeah. You, so was that covered? No. No. So you have to be. You buy your there's own. There's all these rules. Yeah. So if this is like something that like uh, st- stood out to me when in the story that you tell is that I think the assumption from the outside looking in is that if you're in a, a big band like Hole, you're selling millions of records, you're playing Lollapalooza and big shows. Like, like I, I grew up thinking like these people are loaded and everything. Right. Like it's just raining money. That's what I thought too. But it's yeah. not, it wasn't quite that way. I mean, you, no. you were doing fine, but like yeah. it wasn't like stupid money. Yeah. And um, I think that was always in the shadow of Nirvana, seeing how successful they were. We were not as successful as Nirvana. So there was that skewed perspective, like, oh, they're going on a private jet to Brazil, you know? And <laughs> can, you know, it, can I sit in, what do you call that seat? The, the jump seat or whatever? Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, um, so there was that. But then also, um, then I wasn't a founding member of Whole, you know, and, and that they. Um, so when I got into hole, they were already signed, had just gotten signed and were reshuffling the band, you know, to make this next leap. And, and, um, so they they fired their rhythm section and that's when I got into it. Yeah. And when you, when you, like you guys had, you know, even though you would have these gaps where, you know, Courtney's shooting a movie or, you know, yeah. you're in rehab or whatever it is, you know. Um, you guys spent a lot of time out on the road together, uh, made a lot of music together, had a lot of good times. Like, yeah. it, like there was some tumult, but it wasn't, am I wrong? Am I mischaracterizing it by saying like, it wasn't super melodramatic. I mean, I know all bands have their melodramas. It was, it was, <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I felt like I was expecting, I guess I was expecting it to be, um, more contentious. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was, I went in thinking, oh, yeah. this is going to be messy. And it yeah. was like, a little I guess bit- that's my sort of my perspective. My role in the band was always in it, like a, in a fine, a family dynamic, like of, um, alcoholism in the family. Sort of my role was to keep it all smooth and make sure everybody was okay, you know? And like, I couldn't function if things were, you know, there was tumult or just, I, I always had to, are you good? Okay. I'm good. Okay. You know, everybody's happy. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's hard to be in any kind of relationship with anybody yeah. just as human beings, <laughs> right? Word. Like relationships are hard period, whether it's a work relationship or a intimate relationship or like you're in a rock band. Uh, do you have a sense now having lived through all of this? <laughs> like, what? It, <laughs> no, but I didn't even mean to do that. Um, what, what it takes for like a band to like, like the Rolling Stones, like they've been together for 60 years. Mm-hmm. How does that happen? Like, what would it take to like be functional and not that I guess the Rolling Stones have their shit too. I mean, yeah. Keith and Mick are always going at each other. I know. And like <laughs> Brian Jones, there's that whole thing. And, um, I have a, I, I always think of, they got to a point where they had made so much money they could afford to, you know, like live apart. Like, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, together. George Harrison came in on a whole different day, you know, <laughs> yeah. and everybody else was in Bali, you know, or, yeah. Or I, like they record, like they record the album in like one intense month yeah. in like five star splendor. And every, no one's there in the same room at the same time. And 
That's a surprise uh, too. I think learning that yeah. as an outsider that your band is not in the studio with you unless they want to be. Yeah. Right. During yeah. your part. Yeah. You can record a whole album that way. Mm, well, I mean, it's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um yeah, so that's I I I think that's where you get to you get to that point or like the guys in Oasis like they're brothers. They hate each other, <laughs> I know. but they made such great music, know. you know, and I think that that friction did something for them, you know? Well, I was reading, uh, there was a book, there's a guy, I, uh, I'm going to blank on it. My God. So I have the worst memory, but, um, interviewed him for the show. He wrote a book all about the power of two and mm-hmm. like how great creative partnerships, Oh yeah, we represent that book. Do you, why am I? I can't. I mean, I, not, I should I'm know this. I'm blanking on it too. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just blanking. <laughs> it's almost nine o'clock at night. I've you know, it's a long day, so I apologize. But the point is that, like, usually great art, or the argument that the book makes is that usually great art comes from two, and it's mm. it's just two. It's not three, four, but it's like the tension between wow. Lennon and McCartney. Lennon yeah. and McCartney. Like I, you, I will agree. Yeah, because. It was a real Courtney Eric thing, and they had such a friction between them, and they would push each other's buttons, and it it got it was intense, you know. And I so were you Ringo or were you George Harrison? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. I don't know. I that's tough. Um, Maybe Ringo, Um, but um, and then. There was the part where Courtney is stepping out in celebrity skin and saying, we need, um, we need to write with other people. And that was like, I maybe like in a relationship, it's like, we need to see other people kind of thing. And then here's Billy Corgan who shows up and he's twinkling on the piano and coming up with some really cool stuff. And it, it was exciting for me because I was I wanted something new too. You know, I wanted to play something new. I wanted to hear um, new ideas and hear what Billy Corgan had to say, or, you know, Charlotte Caffey from the Go-Go's or, you know. Yeah. It's like, how do you, it's, it's just like a relationship. How do you keep it fun and new right. and exciting? Yeah. You know? yeah. So yeah, there were different, we had some different ideas coming in. I think that that started some, a definite divide. Um, between them. And, you know, uh, I think about Kurt and Courtney and maybe it's just because it's like this mediated version of them that I've been fed for my entire adult life, you know, like uh, documentaries, the videos, the reading Rolling Stone articles, whatever it happens to be. But it is sort of amazing to me that like these two, like massive personalities would find each other or was this like, a, is it a media creation? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there mm-hmm. something to it? Is it, is it like an authentic thing? Like, would Courtney Love have been a star? Maybe that's a two. Maybe yeah. that's a pairing, you know, where they wouldn't have become who they were or are without each other. Or do you think like independent, like he would have become a star and she would have become a star? Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I, that's so, those, those kind of... Hypotheticals. Yeah. That's knows? so tough. But I think... Um, they held each other in different ways, you know, and, um, Kurt didn't care about the business end of things at all, you know, and, and she would, you know, kind of give him a nudge here and there, 
Like and, you, you want you want to say yes to this. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and um, and also it was weird because his talent was something that I don't really think he could teach somebody. Like I don't know if he could share that with her, you know. But he because he would just sit down and it with this amazing, you know, I. What I'm saying is I don't trying to think of what the exchange was. I mean, I'm sure there's a billion things. They loved each other. Yeah. But and and um, he was blown away by what his life was becoming. And she was like, oh, no, you this is good. Yeah. (laughs) Ride this wave. Right. But I think one thing that Courtney never gets credit for is her lyrics really influenced him, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Like, she never gets credit for that. Like, in utero, there's so many lyrics that are so um, Courtney similar in the way she writes. Um, They're both really bright. Yeah. Like, Kurt, like, I remember, you know, watching that HBO doc. He's, he was so gifted, like oh, gifted God. visual artist, great singer. Like uh, one of the lines in the book um, was where you were talking about his voice and how like, like if you, what was it? It's like if you could, it's like it had a physical effect on you, uh-huh. like truly, you know, palpable physical effect. And I think that's real. Like I could totally relate to that. I was like, yeah, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like when he's really singing, it gets through and not everybody has that to say the least. You there know? was never really a moment where I heard when he was in the closet playing the guitar and he started to sing, there was never any struggle or sort of like a stop where he was working on a note. It just would flow. Wow. Like it just like whatever his first thoughts were would just come out. And I, I never, it wasn't like he had to like, Oh, that's not right. I'm going to do that different. You know, <laughs> or like, you know, he didn't even give a shit about the business and yet succeeded wildly. Yeah. You know? I think part of him, um, people or, always say he was that sort of like, he, he didn't, he, he, he didn't want to be a rock star, but I, he wanted to be a rock yeah, star. Yeah. I was just going to say, like, that wasn't like the way that I characterized it. That's not entirely true. He did give a shit about the business, yeah. but like he didn't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? it's, it wasn't cool then to be all about the corporation. It wasn't cool to be on Rolling Stone. Yeah. I mean, maybe well, no, it is now. I think it's totally different now. It's like kids are like, I need that Apple commercial to make a living. And it's like, it's not like we can't be cool and pose anymore about how corporations, I mean, you know, just how we can't corporate magazine still. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like Miller beer is going to sponsor your tour. That's cool. Yeah. Whatever. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like one of the, the last great era. I mean, compact discs were like 20 bucks and they cost like what 50 cents to make or whatever it is. So there's a lot of money in music. Yeah. That was a good run. I mean, it was a good time to be selling lots of albums. Right. Right. And that's just, that doesn't happen. That's over. Yeah. At least for rock and roll. It's over. What, like what, pop music, it's still okay, and I guess yeah, Taylor Swift is still she sells course. albums. Yes, Taylor, but it is it's weird that it's just Beyonce and Taylor and um, Bieber. You That's know? it. Like, That's it. It's the big but the pendulum pop. has to swing back. You know, that was all that it was. It was crazy metal in the eighties. You know, right. and then it was like, then we showed up. Yeah, and changed it. I sort of have a fondness for that eighties hair metal, like, sure. but only like in retrospect, like, cause it feels like a more innocent time. Everyone's just yeah. on the sunset. A bit strip. nostalgic yeah. just because, yeah, I remember, you know, I like 
that you know, like quiet riot Poison. or whatever. Yeah. Leather yeah. pants. Yeah. yeah. Leather yeah. pants. Yeah. Look but like the they were dragon. so horrible to women. That was the thing. Yes. And when it changed, um, it was so good to, you know, tell those guys to, you know. Yeah. We're in a big moment right now where that's happening. Yeah. You know, again, like music, I mean, the music business is rife with that. There's, I mean, not just in the eighties. Yeah. It's all coming out, you know, and, um, I was just at band practice with the girls in my band and, um, a lot of, um, you know, they're talking about a lot of different blogs are coming out with. You know, oh, guys like in with bands. the bands, yeah, like the guys in bands, punk bands, like the list. who are rapists, yeah. yeah, the list. Well, I guess it's I mean, it's good. It's good. Like sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? That's Hopefully. good. Yeah, I, I just, but I, I feel, always say it's like you picked up a rock and underneath all the potato bugs and worms, yeah, potato <laughs> bugs, <laughs> trying to curl up. Yeah, like, oh, sorry. Yeah, didn't mean to. Uh, but you know, potato bug Weinstein. <laughs> yeah. He is kind of potato bugish, but it's uh, it's really uh, it's also like really hard to ingest all of that news on a daily basis. Like all these stories stack up, and they flood your social media, and you find yourself just like reading and like yeah. painful shit and yeah. constant. And yeah. it's great that it's coming out, but it's also just like holy hell! Like right. it's, it's just your daily reminder of how fucking awful people can be. That's a lot to process. I think at least for me, really, yes. it's really hard for the men in my life to process it. It's, I think I think I'm because the women are kind of used to. I it. was going to say, you yeah, know, like we know. Yeah, you don't have to think about it. Yeah, you know, especially if you're a white man. You know, it's kind of like you have all the privileges, right? Um, and I think that's what Shirley Manson was talking about mm-hmm. last night, like as white women in America, we have it better than any woman on earth. Right. Technically. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like a big white expose, but uh, clearly it happens in every possible context. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like systemic epidemic, the whole thing. And, um, it's like, I guess that makes whole in its time. Um, I get not, I mean, not unique. There were other all, uh, or mostly female bands. So apologies to Eric, but I mean, it's definitely a, a female band. Yeah. Like that's the way Trip I always, and, and yeah, that was our message and voice and, um, from the name of the band on down, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, anger, rage, yeah, which was so cathartic for, uh-huh. you know, an 18 year old me. Were you into it? I was so into it. Okay. Like, that's how this all happened. I was so into Patty specifically. Of course, Courtney's the gateway drug to whole, (laughs) you know, and to life Um, and to feminism for for young women, I think, at that time. Yeah. Because it was so unabashed. But to see Patty play live, like, that was my first, you were my first female drummer. Mm -hmm. And... She's just the greatest drummer, you know, and it's because she hits so hard and it's because she's like, well, there, and there is, there's so a, tight. there's a, there's a violence to drumming. Uh-huh. There's yeah. an aggression to it. That's just inherent. Yeah. And, uh, I think probably for young women, that's gotta be cool to see yeah. like a woman out there just like, like, uh, what's the word? Like not shredding. I feel like you shred on guitar. Yeah, what yeah, do you, you do could, on drums? Can you uh, shred on drums? You know, just, yeah, yeah. Um, we call Destroy. it. Destroy. Yeah. Like, I don't know. When, yeah, that's. 
we call it wood shedding when what but that's like when you're working and you're playing your drums you're i don't know i don't know what what uh, yeah yeah I don't have a word for it. Okay. But that's a good so quest to find. <laughs> we'll come up that. with that. <laughs> yeah. It's the equivalent of like punching something over and over at yeah. least. It's like boxing. And you you actually injure yourself when you're yeah, playing. I, yeah. This is a new... Right now I'm holding up my hand. This just happened today. A, a new callus blister. Actually, that was... Um, I hit the stick on the rim with my finger in between yeah. and just... Yeah. Are you like stylistically? Because you, you know, your first teacher was a, a jazzer. I think yeah, you said. Yeah. Like jazz strumming is a little bit more delicate. Yeah, and but, it's so good to learn that. And I was so not into it, and now I am. But no, it's funny because I, I feel like I've read over the years in music journalism a lot about like my favorite bands, and so many of my favorite rock bands have a drummer with a jazz yeah educate like a foundation yeah, and, and it's uh, it, it it's it's a cool feel and then also it's like like john bonham was a rock drummer but he was a jazz guy so he had a swing inside his feel you know that was so cool but i mean to talk about like a powerful drummer right he's hitting him thunder (laughs) yeah right um (laughs) so let's talk about the way because you you just started to be to uh mention it the way that this book came to be yeah you, you were a fan and then huge fan and hit so hard the documentary which is a lot of patty's you know home videos mm-hmm. from living with kurt and courtney and also going on the road with hole after kurt had died and Kristen faff who had, who was the bass player died like a month later or two months later yeah oh god and then they went on the road like right after they hired melissa who was like 21 or yeah such a baby yeah i don't know i just remember i was one of those fans that had read every single possible you know profile and um part of that was because courtney's just so electrifying and articulate and well (laughs) in a way kind of funny when she's been edited yeah um yeah and funny and all of that but uh I saw that documentary and that was so cool. And a few years later, Ben Schaefer, who's the editor at DeCapo, um, called and he was like, I just met Patty Schemmel and I think she should do a book and you should represent her. Because as an agent, I represent a lot of music biographies and I work with, um, you know, rock stars sometimes and musicians. And it just struck me. I was like, envisioning how I would pair her with a writer and there is just no other writer that, you know, You're perfect for it. I'm mm-hmm. perfect for it. Yeah. You know, the music, you know, everybody in the band It was such a relief to me yeah. for, to, to meet Aaron and then hear her talk about what my band was to her and what it meant and that she knows all that, you She's know, fluent. that's so important to yeah. me so that we can talk about, she knows what I mean when I mention this or this time. And then, yeah. So, so, yeah. okay, so how did it actually work? How did the, the actual writing of the book yeah. happen? Like, Well, okay, so we, well, first I just ca- cold called her out of the blue and um, tried to convince her that I wasn't insane and also explaining the process of how a book is made. And it's really complicated. 
Um, but yeah, we, I, I convinced her over the phone to at least, you know, let me, let's get to know each other and let's work on a Google doc and let's, you know, just talk. Is that how that, is that how collaborations happen in, in the literary world? Not just, you just Google doc it. Well, we did actually, <laughs> yeah. that was your idea yeah, or I, your wife's I, idea. Yeah. She said, well, why don't you guys, you know, go back work, and forth. There's yeah, this great thing called yeah, Google, it's doc. Called Google doc. <laughs> Um, it actually is great. It's like, cause it's like, I don't think I've never heard of anybody losing anything. It's like going to be saved. It's not going to get lost in the transom. Yeah. But I didn't even know about it really. And then we ended up working on the proposal for like a year mm-hmm. just to get Patty comfortable. Cause of course you can't really inhabit somebody's voice until you really get to know them. Yeah. Um, so that, that took a while and then we sold it exclusively to DeCapo and then started in earnest. Um, and that was another year. So, so Patty to tell this story, which, you know, has its ups and downs, uh, to say the least, uh, it's hard to write about painful parts of your life. I've done this. Like, you know, it's, it can be excruciating Mm -hmm. to have to go back and relive it all Yeah, and to have to put it down on paper and sort of confront yourself in writing. It can, it can also be a healthy process, but like, like, how was it for you, especially yeah. for somebody who, uh, as a creative person, makes music and plays shows? Um, what was like sitting down quietly and like reliving your past on the page like? Um, it was so difficult to like. I thought I'd gotten farther along on my, how I felt about it, but going back and breaking it down and talking about the room and, you know, what, like a moment and it was difficult and it affected me and I didn't really think it would. And, um, I, uh, I had to do a lot of reaching out to other, you know, uh, some support and, um, I, it was like, I would get done talking with Aaron and, and sorting it all out. And some days I would just be so angry, <laughs> you know, like all these feelings would come up. Some days I was just like exhausted and sad. And other days I was angry yeah. and like angry at Aaron, which is not, has nothing to do with Aaron, right. you know, yes. but I have to break that probing. down. Yeah. 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 And, um, but I also was like, you know, if, if you're going to do this, do it, you know, you got to, I'm all in. And, and also I, I want to be punk rock about it. So I, yeah. you know, if I don't feel that my voice was there, then, um, you know, Aaron would do it over again. Yeah. yeah. Or she takes. would ask a question in red and say, well, can you tell me more about this? And then I would just dive in. So you're like midwifing. Yeah. yeah. Not even I think I'm knowing Patty's how. drummer. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> not, even, back up. not even really knowing what, how to write, you know, like in a official way. And so I call it being punk rock. So you just, no rules, you just do it. And, and so that's some of the process was like that too. And, um, I discovered that it's, I like it, you know, I like writing. Yeah. Um, and did it give you any like new perspective on all of it? Like, did you come yeah. away going, wow, I've learned. Yes. Like it made me realize that, uh, 
you know, X wasn't what I thought it was or yeah. that, what, what, like what, that, what are some well, of the, the takeaways? Pattern, <clears throat> I saw the pattern in behavior for sure. And that, um, drugs, you know, it was either drugs were, I was using drugs or I was using women or I was using, um, you know, money or, you know, just all these things, you know, and it really gets laid out and pretty crystal clear to see. Um, and so, you know, that I walked away with that and seeing that and also, um, and it's like one thing to know, cause you, you knew that you, you, before you set out to write this book, you knew like drugs and women right. and money had all been things, but yes. you still, you still get something from writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> There's something very clarifying about yeah. it. You're like, Oh shit. You know? Like, yeah. I don't ever forget it. You yeah. know? And I, I feel like if, if I don't remember these things and, um, my mind, the way it works, will just kind of gloss it over a little bit and like, well, you know what? Heroin was a worse problem than women just go out and cheat on your wife, you know, or whatever, (laughs) you know? And it's just, it's, so I have to stay kind of like, no, 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 no. That's, you know, you have a problem. Okay. So let's, (laughs) but let's talk about women because this is an interesting question. It brings up an interesting question. Like you're in a like a female centric band. Uh, you're lesbian. Yeah. Like Courtney is hetero and she's up there and she's, there's probably lots of guys like lusting. It's probably girls lusting after her. Mm -hmm. But I mean, for a guy as a rock star, you're up there and then it's like backstage and the groupies and the whole thing. Women, it's probably like, Ugh, like there's, you know, like it's different. Right. But then if you're into, if you're in, you know, into you're women. if you're into women, there's probably women like Good all times. over. All yeah. over, all <laughs> over Did you. Did you have groupies? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> but it would get you in trouble. Yeah. Of course. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was, you know, moments where, but I was dating my girlfriend at the time worked with the band. So we share a room together, you know, uh-huh. and sometimes girls would call up to the room and then she would like get, get in there and sort of like intercept the phone call. Yeah. <laughs> Do you use your real name when you're on the road? Or do you um, like... We it, early on we did, but then we started changing it. You got to have pseudonyms. Yeah, because, it's the yeah. rock star thing. <laughs> yeah. What was yeah. your pseudonym? Do you My remember? pseudonym was Linda Manns and Linda Manns is this actress who was in uh, days of heaven. She was also in, um, was she the of, lead with Richard Gere? Uh, yeah, that's Brooke. Um, but she was the girl, the little girl that oh, was in Days with of the Heaven. With the voice? Yes. With the, with no, the, she the, did the, it, the voiceover yeah, in yes. Days of Heaven? Yes, her. Oh, um, that's a good pseudonym. She, she was in Out of the Blue with Dennis Hopper, okay. where she played this girl who played drums. Oh. Um, and She's got she, that very distinct like like New York yeah, accent. Yeah, it's like know? this. And, yeah. Yeah, and she was in The Wanderers, that movie. She had a bunch of roles in um, early like late 70s, early 80s. Um, so yeah, that was my pseudonym. Well, before I let you get out of here, I mean, we have to talk about you like getting sober finally. I haven't gotten to that point in the book, Yeah, but like you, you are, you know, you're lucky to be alive. Yes. And you made it through, (laughs) you know, some people, they have an angel on their shoulder. Like I've lost friends to addiction. Um, not everybody makes it through, you know, that as well as anybody, but you made it through and you have gotten to a place in your life where you're sober, uh, your mom. Mm-hmm. You uh, and you you run a doggy daycare. Yeah, too? I used to um, do. I started out working with dogs. That was my um, my first job in early recovery, and I started my own business. And then when my daughter was born, uh, my wife went back to work, and then I was stay at home mom. 
You can't and have like 17 dogs around. Not at all. It's so hard. You know, with it's, a toddler. That's and, a lot of feces. Yeah, exactly. Plus <laughs> diapers. Um, so, yeah. So um, these days I, I play drums and then What's I... What's your band now? Upset. Okay. Yeah. And you guys going on tour? Yeah, we're um, we're working on a record right now. We have okay. Well, if if, uh, if upset comes to your town, just go to the hotel and call for Linda Mans. <laughs> She'll be happy to receive you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But getting sober like that, like what was bottom, and like how did you finally right. get on yeah. track? Because there might be people listening. There who... was um, that cliche. I lost everything. I was I lived on the street, and. It was the there. It was the moment that um, I had one more chance to. You know, I woke up living on the street and have you get you, this moment of like, what? What am I doing? Were you, you know, in LA? today? Yes. Where were you living? Downtown on the um, Temple and Alvarado. There's. It's now. <laughs> it's now a, a Whole Foods. Uh, uh, no, it's a. Uh, yeah, I know, but. Um, uh, <laughs> It's a, it's um, it's a fast food place. I forget what it is. It's like um, it's the chicken Chick Fil A. Uh, you know, Kukuru. Uh, no, oh. but I remember Kukuru. Anyway, it's Zanfu chicken or whatever no, it's called. It's a, it's like, <laughs> uh, it's like Mexican food. Fast food, though. Chipotle? No. <laughs> we have to get to the bottom oh, of this. <laughs> oh, I know I'm going to drive by it, too. The chicken place from uh, um, Mexican Breaking chi- Bad. Mexican chicken? Yes. It's chicken, and um, people are probably listening going, it's <laughs> but anyway, whatever that, whatever the fuck it is, yeah, that's yeah. where you hit bottom. Yes, it was in that. It was an empty field, and uh-huh. and there was a like chain link fence about the squared off, and um, why well, there was one corner of the fence that I would sneak through, and then in the corner there was like you know some old uh, there was like a mattress, and like you know that's where I stayed, you know, in that corner behind these bushes, in this you know. And the my days were spent looking for drugs and m- making money to uh, get high and stay high. And so um, I got to a point where I, you know, I, uh, a friend reached out and said, you know, you can, I, I can help, you know, and wanted to help me get out and... So that's what I did. And I, I mean, I'd done it so many times. I didn't know if this was it or not, you know, and, um, but yes. I had nothing. So many attempts at re, you know, rehabs yeah. and detoxes, like dozens and dozens, which was one of the reasons why we wanted to do the book because there is hope. Right. Like the, it's so depressing to try and feel like a failure when you relapse. And of course, that's such a part of it because you have to get to that yeah. horrible place where you're just like, I'm either going to die or I'm going to try to live yeah. one more time. And I went into the musician's assistance program, helped me one last time. They were like, okay, we've helped you a lot of times. <laughs> you again, huh? Yes. Hello. <laughs> um, and so um, they took a, lot, a chance on me and I got into um, 
uh, rehab, detox and rehab. And I stayed there 30 days, never enough. It's never enough. 30 no. days. How much time uh, do you think? I mean, I guess there's no way to really put a number on it, but if you really, if you could really do it up, is it like six months inpatient? You know? Yeah. Yes. You need and some time. I, I went from rehab to sober living. So I was, you know, uh, I was in a recovery community for six months and it's that time. That's the most crucial. And you just got to get through because physically you're going to be depressed. Um, it sucks, you know, yeah, and yeah. it's going to, you're all you're going to want to do is just be okay and feel okay again. And you can't just be, you need to be in a safe place, you know, and that's what saved me was that, and I had nothing and I just did what they told me to do for once, you know? Was, and so it was, a, it was a treatment center you had been to before. It was yeah. people you had worked with before, but this time it took. Um, I'd been there for a detox, but, you know, I've been to so many, you know, I, I know the spiel, you yeah. know, and I knew what to say. And I know, you know, like, we all, all of us addicts, we all have our, you know, hustle, you know, and right. I'd always done it um, just to get everybody off my back, you know. And this time I was like, well, I've, no one's really on my back now. No one cares now. And, you know, you either make a, the simple choice of um, I'm going to live in that corner on that, you know, street, or I'm going to try this one last time, you know, and that's how things started to turn around. Where, like, where are you spiritually? Cause I know a lot of times when people make a recovery, they have something. Yeah. Like, did you have something? Or um, do you have something? I had, uh, I had some faith there and it was hard to really connect to anything. Um, and to have that, you know, there was such a small amount, but like when things started to, to change, it was things like, um, what added to the faith and my connection was those moments where, um, the women are getting jobs where in my sober living and they, and I, get a job at a, a dog care facility and they hire me. There's one thing that makes me go, okay, the universe I'm, is I'm like going to do something. Yeah. And then I work there and then they say, you're real, you know, good job. There's another thing. And these are things that, um, it has nothing to do with me being a drummer. I'm not, it's not because I played on that record or I know this person. And it was so like no ego, and it's about me showing up. No one knows who I am or what I did or anything. And so then the next thing, you know, I'm the manager and then they give me the keys to the place. And then, you know, and it was like little bits of things that were self-esteem building where I thought, oh, it's not just because I'm the drummer of whole, you right. know, I'm, I'm, they like me because I'm Patty. Yeah. And working with dogs is good too. Yes. The less you can work with people, the better off you are. Yes, at least in the first year. I'm ready. I'm going to start a doggy daycare here. Yeah. It's, my, it's my next move. Yeah. Uh, and so, where are you now? Like, are you friends with uh, bandmates? Yeah. Are you still in you touch know, with people? When in the process of the book, of course, Melissa and I talk all the time. She has a daughter. This is a year younger than my daughter, and we see each other every year. And. Um, where's she live? She living? She's in a, um, in Hudson, New York. Okay. And she has a, an amazing, uh, art space called the Basilica. 
and they have a festival every year. Um, she and her husband are smart, great artists that are doing great things there. Um, and Eric, I see Eric now and then, and he, um, he's right now compiling a, a sort of box set of unreleased whole stuff. So I don't know how long it's going to take for him to do that. And when that'll be done, you got to like remaster it and all that stuff or something. I'm or? sure. Okay. I don't, yeah. Yeah. And I, I have no idea what's there. You know, I don't know. I just have this picture of him in my mind, um, like in this giant, like dusty old reel to reel vault. <laughs> right. And it's like, and he's got a long beard and he just stays in there. Does he have a long beard? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, he um, has a long bob. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Courtney, when, you know, she read the book, I sent it to her and she read it and then she called me right away and said, it's great. And she, you know, she said, I didn't know that you and Kurt would sneak off so much and do drugs, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, she had forgotten some of the things and, um, but But, also, but she, but she was receptive to anyone else. Did Melissa read it? And, uh, yeah, Melissa, she read it and loved it. And it was hard, you know, for her to read the, the parts where our friendship, you know, took a turn. Well, sure. Yeah. Um, did they, anybody else in the band do a book? Um, well, like Courtney Nick, hasn't written a memoir or anything like that. She's, she's been under contract for many uh, years. Oh, she to has. Do yeah. One, but. I'll tell you what, congrats to you for getting one done. It's Thank not you. easy to write a book. I know. It's well, I had help. I you know? know. Well, but still, you know, it's, it's like so get, getting through the process. Is, yes. Uh, it's a long road. It is. It's not it, like just cranking out one of these rock albums. Oh my God. <laughs> You're, you are telling the truth. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. Yes. I have jealousy. I, I can feel very envious of, cause you can write a great, you, this is the truth. You can write a timeless song in 15 minutes. Yeah. It can't happen. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but it's yeah. just a very compressed situation, uh, by comparison. And, and so the book is a slog. It's a slog. I mean, yeah. And you made it through. Um, well, it's yeah. great to meet you. Great to meet you too. And Thanks. congratulations to you both. Aaron, it's good to see you. Aaron's my literary agent. I, I feel like I'm going to probably say this in the monologue before we know what I'm introducing, but it's good to see you. It's so good to see you. And you've got to get to a show. Yeah. This is yeah. the, this is like when I'm talking to a rock star on the show, like she's here and then she's got to leave and she's got to go, got to go play <laughs> drums in a rock band. That's right. Got a so, show tonight. All right. Well, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, folks, there you go. That is Patty Schemmel and Aaron Hosier. Patty uh, is going to play a rock show. She's got a memoir out. It's called Hit So Hard, available from DeCapo Press. You can find her online on Facebook. Uh, I believe she's on Twitter. I think the handle is at Patty Schemmel. Aaron, my literary agent uh, and Patty's literary agent, uh, is at Do Now Carlson and Lerner, if you want to look them up. So great talking to those guys. Cool to get to talk to somebody who's written like a rock memoir. I haven't done much of that. If you want to write to me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. The theme song music for this program was provided by uh, Kill Rockstars. For more information, go to killrockstars.com. It's the band Stereo Total, but Kill Rockstars is the label. And uh, the transitional music is, of course, from Hole. I figured that was apropos. I hope that's okay. I used to listen to this song back when I was a pizza delivery guy. I distinctly remember it. I also used to listen to this song on one of those yellow Walkmans the first time I ever went to Europe. I was all by myself. I was backpacking. It's kind of an inward turn on the trains, just listening to Hole reflecting on my life (laughs) in the way that one does while backpacking around Europe. It's cool how music has these associative memories, you know? You hear a song and it takes you back. 
other art forms don't really do that quite as well. I mean, I know you can do that with a book. Like, oh yeah, I remember I read that book back when I was like in eighth grade or whatever, but how often do you reread a book that you read in eighth grade? It doesn't really happen, but you do hear a song that you really loved in eighth grade. You know, you will sit through an entire song that you loved in eighth grade and it'll take you back to that moment. I'm very caffeinated. Uh, what else? Don't forget about the Other People app. If you want to support the show, it's patreon.com slash otherpplpod. I am going to get a dog. i got to figure it out. You know, I think part of the problem is that in my family, I'm the dog person. I'm the person who trains the dog. I'm good at training dogs. And, uh, you know, but I have this uh, full-time job. I'm not going to be here to do it. So the responsibility would then fall to my wife and to a lesser extent my kids. And I'm wondering what's going to happen. I feel like the dog would run, like, run roughshod over our family. Be chaos. Because I'm the enforcer and I wouldn't be around to enforce. And I can't bring my dog to the office where I work. Because there, there are cats there. It's just not allowed. No one else does it. My boss has cats. I don't think it would work. I'm not going to make a special request. It just seems like something I need to ponder more. Do you hire a trainer? Is that something people do? I feel like you got to train your own dog. If you're outsourcing that... Maybe you shouldn't get a dog. Got to have the time to invest. Got to make sure you treat the dog properly. I don't want to have a miserable, like, insane dog locked up in the house all day by itself. We'll see. I've always had a dog, though. I'm a dog person. I like cats, too. I like animals. I want to have... I wish I had a farm. I mean, in my brain. You know, like, in this, like, uh idealized version of having a farm. I wish I had one. Like a gentleman's farm. Just like a small sampling of animals. Like one cow, a couple of sheep. You know what I'm talking about. Do people do that? Is that just a rumor? I think people do that. Sort of want to buy a house in New Zealand. Been thinking about it a lot. Just like a getaway house. Escape hatch. I feel like that's trending. I want to make a lot of money on Bitcoin. Buy a house in New Zealand. Got to make that happen. Okay, everybody. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you again uh, soon. Soon-ish. Like next, uh, next week. Okay. Okay. <laughs>